The last thing I want to do in life is to reach some some old age and to sit back and say, boy, you know, I wish I had done this and I wish I had done that. And to regret opportunities that I had and didn't take because I, I decided to just stay home and work. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, where we talk to athletes, adventurers, and business owners from around the world of adventure sports. Whether you're climbing Mount Everest, starting a bike shop, or getting up off your couch to take your kids hiking for the first time, we want you to have the motivation and inspiration you need to chase that next adventure. The Adventure Sports Podcast is brought to you by Camp Crate, the leaders in fully planned self-guided backpacking adventures, as well as backpacking gear rental. You can check them out at campcrate.net. Before I knew better, I used to carry cans of food into the backcountry um, like a doofus. Uh, obviously, I don't do that anymore. I use freeze-dried food, and I really only use Peak Refuel, uh, the best backpacking food, the best freeze-dried food in the world. And if you keep listening to the episode, I can show you how to save 20% off an order if you want some. Powder 7's team of ski experts makes buying skis pretty easy. They're actually known for helping customers find the right gear specifically for them. They even sell used skis, which is pretty cool. Plus, Powder 7 ships to just about anywhere in the world, and they have incredibly fast shipping in the U.S. Visit them online at powder7.com, or you can stop by their store in Golden, Colorado. If you're like me, you have some pain and inflammation from your adventure sport. Sometimes you don't sleep well, and you can even deal with stress and anxiety. Uh, we have a possible solution for you later on in the show. So keep listening if you deal with any of those issues. Hey, everybody. Hope you had a good weekend. Uh, today's episode is fantastic. I was really excited to interview Mr. Harris, and I know you're going to really enjoy his story. It's very relatable, um, but also uh, really inspiring. Um, before we get into it, I wanted to thank you for January uh, listenership, it was our best month ever, uh, by far. We had more listeners than ever, and that was because of you. So we would appreciate if you continued sharing it, continue listening, uh, continue giving us feedback on what you like, what you don't like about the show, because it's really helping and it's paying off. So thank you once again. Um, if you'd like to support the show on a more consistent basis, go to patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast, and you can support the show for a dollar a month. Uh, or $5 a month. And if you hit $5 a month, you can be interviewed for the show, which is pretty cool. Um, but anyway, uh, Mr. Harris, the guest, just has an amazing story uh, about how he got it started in adventure and how he's continued throughout his life and built a lifestyle to, to have adventure, but to also have a, a life at home and a life in New York City of all places. So I really hope you enjoy. And here's the episode. Actually, one thing before we start is uh, Mr. Harris mentions in the uh, episode that he has a picture of him holding up a dime and a quarter on the back of a Volkswagen. You'll understand the story around that um, once you listen to the episode, but there's a picture of that on our website in the show notes of this episode, just so you know. All right, everyone. So welcome to today's episode. I hope you had uh, a good weekend, good week. Today we have a really, really interesting guest. I'm super excited to interview him. He's been on over 50 multi-week treks since 1966. That's over 50 years of adventures. And a lot of those have been alone and they've all been self-supported or unsupported. He's a member of the Explorers Club. 
a lifelong resident of New York City, and he's the founder and the president of uh, JRH Marketing Services, which is the oldest African-American-owned research and consulting firm in the U.S., uh, and he's the author of Way Out There, Adventures of Wilderness Trekker, and his name is J. Robert Harris. Mr. Harris, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you for including me here. I'm really, uh, really excited to talk to you. Yeah, man. Thank you for taking the time to do this. This is awesome. You're, uh, you know, I had heard about your book uh, uh, earlier last year, and I hadn't had a chance to read it yet, but I, I, I knew immediately, like, man, I'd love to have him on the show at some point. Um, and you say you're coming from New York City today, right? Yep, New York City, Big uh, Apple. Oh, man. How's the weather? Oh, well, uh, not too bad. You know, it's uh, it's it's cold, but uh, sun is shining, you know, and uh, I'd say it's pretty good for January. And so, you know, you, you, you're a lifelong resident in New York City, but you are hugely experienced in the outdoors. Um, why don't you tell us, and you're, like you said, you're a lifelong, lifelong resident. What's your background? Where are you from? And how did you get introduced to the outdoors? Well, uh, first of all, <clears throat> when I say I'm a lifelong resident, uh, I actually, my, my family moved here. My parents moved here when I was one year old. So I wasn't actually born in New York City, but it's the only place I've ever really uh, known. I've been living here uh, again since I was uh, one year old, back when dinosaurs ruled the earth. <laughs> and uh, grew up here in the city. I was a typical city kid. Uh, my family uh, lived in a housing project. My <clears throat> my dad was a truck driver. My mother was a homemaker. You know, when, by the time I got to be a teenager, they were a little concerned about growing up uh, in the projects and city housing. Back in those days, uh, you know, we had uh, gang warfare, uh, like we do today, still uh, still out there. And uh, <clears throat> my parents were eager to try to get me away from that environment. Uh, and so they thought that the, the way to do it was to sign me up in the Boy Scouts, which of course I didn't really want to do. Uh, none of my friends were in it really. You know, Boy Scouts back in the late 50s, early 60s was not, you know, what you wanted to be in if you were in growing up in projects. And, uh, you know, I saw you took a bit of, um, and I took a bit of uh, hazing from my friends, but my folks said, well, you're going to go away to summer camp up in the mountains, up in the Catskill Mountains. And of course, I didn't want to do that either. Uh, but once I got there, everything changed. I wasn't used to trees and grass and, and all the outdoors. I wasn't used to seeing so many stars in the sky at night, so much sky at all during the daytime. You know, they they taught us how to use a knife and an axe and how to pitch a tent and how to make a fire in, in the middle of a thunderstorm and how to track animals and tie knots and all, you know, all this good stuff. I really went for it. You know, I really, really liked it. And two things happened. Number one, I learned to, to appreciate the outdoors and to respect nature. And number two, of course, I learned a lot of new skills that I didn't use, you know, when I got back home, but was a real confidence builder at that stage when I was an early teen. And I went back to scout camp for the next, geez, three, four, maybe even five years after that. And really, uh, really enjoyed it. I actually got to look forward to it. And so that's how I got uh, introduced to the outdoors and to trekking and uh, all that good stuff. 
Wow. They had the Boy Scouts. Wow, that is so crazy, man, because it's probably a hard place to have a, a troop in New York City. And how insightful <laughs> of your parents to say, you're going to do this, something that's kind of out of the box, probably especially for uh, your friends and, and the people you're around, just to say, hey, you're going to do this thing that's going to take you so far out of your comfort zone. But man, your your parents must have really, I mean, that's a very wise decision on their end. Well, that's what they always said. <laughs> <laughs> Man, well, I think after 50 years, you'd agree with them, wouldn't you? <laughs> I, I definitely agree. I definitely agree. I I never would have done it on my own. I don't think I ever would have been exposed to uh, to the wilderness or even to the forest, for that matter, uh, had I not um, had I not been in the scouts. I certainly wouldn't have learned uh, a lot of skills that I that I'd be using for the next 50 years as I went on treks all around the world so uh yeah they uh they made some that was just one of the many wise decisions my parents made and probably one of the many wise decisions they made that at first i didn't think was so wise but i didn't really agree with it all turned out well very well that is so cool and and so after the scouts Mm -hmm. you know you says you started your career essentially in 1966 what happened then what did you do that officially kicked off your adventure career well 1966 was the uh, year that i graduated from college i was 20 years old uh, first one in my family with a college degree or even a high school uh, uh, education oh congrats that's awesome yeah it was cool and uh i i decided i needed to get away someplace uh, just to, you know, just to, to get away from the stress I had for four years of trying to earn a degree and working at night. And so I, I had a, a used Volkswagen, a beat up, uh, Volkswagen Beetle. And I looked at a map and I said, uh, well, what's the northernmost, uh, road? Where's the farthest north you can drive in, in all of North America? And it turned out to be uh, 120 miles north of Fairbanks, Alaska, a town called Circle, Circle, Alaska. Back in 1966, you could not drive farther north than that. And so I said to myself, well, if I was to drive all the way up there and drive all the way to the end of that road, I would be the northernmost car in all of North America, Canada, US, Mexico. Every vehicle would be behind me and there would be no vehicles in front of me from, from where I was all the way to the North Pole. And for that crazy reason, I jumped in my car and I drove up there. And uh, along the way, um, <clears throat> when I got into the Yukon Territory, especially, and could see all the mountains and the wilderness in the back, and I, I, I really had the urge, the longing to, to leave my car and be able to go back into those mountains you know, uh, and see what those valleys were like, those hidden valleys behind the first... Uh, range of mountains to see what kind of wildlife was there, to see what it was like just to live there. Of course, I, back then I had no backpack or anything like that, but I did have uh, all the memories from the scouts and I, I still had some of the skills. And I said, you know, this trip that I'm on right now is really epic, but when I get back home, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get myself some new gear and I'm going to go back out and start backpacking again. So uh, that's really um, uh, how the whole thing started. I had, when I when I finished with the Boy Scouts, I didn't do much hiking after that until I finished finished college. But once I came back from Alaska, and and back in 1966, now Alaska 
had only been a state for like a couple of years. It's hardly anybody living there. Wow. They hadn't discovered any oil there yet. Uh, and it was just a big open wilderness. They used to call it the last frontier. Uh, and that's that's pretty much what it was. It's a long drive. Dang, man. That is, dude, when I was, uh, my first adventure was also in Alaska, starting in Fairbanks. Oh. And I was 20 years old as well. And, uh, <laughs> but I wasn't alone. I was with my best friend and we were riding bikes. But uh, I have to say, man, and I'm from the East Coast too. I'm from Florida though, the other side. Uh-huh. But man, uh, it was terrifying for me at 20 years old. I still had a couple years left, um, uh-huh. but that was in 2011, man. What, what about 1966? I guarantee there was a bunch of gravel road on your way up there too. Cause it, it's not even, it's not even all paved now. That's right. I did. I did about uh, 2,500 miles from New York city to Dawson Creek. Then I had another 1,523 miles from there to Fairbanks, and none of it was paved. Oh, well, you know, once you got back to the, uh, the Alaska border, uh, it was paved. The last 300 miles into Fairbanks were paved. But yeah, there was uh, very few towns back then, uh, very few places to get gasoline. There was no place that you would want to break down in your car because there was no AAA or anybody to come out and get you. Um, I had very little money. I had never been uh, out of the States. I, you know, my first time in Canada and I drove all the way across and it was, uh, it was a real adventure. It was, it was tough, but it was great. What did people say when you told them, especially like family <laughs> or people around you, you said, I'm going to do this. Cause, cause that, that sounds crazy. That's what they told me. <laughs> I heard that makes sense. <laughs> uh, well, you know, um, back in, back then, nobody went to Alaska. You know, Alaska was just a place that was just so far away, you know, you couldn't even envision it. You know, this was a time before there was a Discovery Channel or a National Geographic Channel. Uh, The news out of Alaska, you hardly heard anything. It was a place where people who, you know, wanted to run away from civilization went, you know, prospectors and people who were uh, having trouble uh, at home and just wanted to get away. Uh, And so it had this kind of... uh, really hard scrabble, you know, backcountry, off the grid reputation. And so when I said I wanted to go there, and especially, you know, because I didn't know anybody there and nobody I knew had ever even been there and I had a used car uh, and very little money. So, you know, my, actually my parents were down with it. You know, my dad being a truck driver, he's the one who taught me how to shift and I had a a Volkswagen shift car. So he kind of liked that. And uh, my mother, you know, she was, she was up for it as well. You know, she said she was she, she liked that her kids had some kind of adventure, you know, uh, spirit in them. And so they were very supportive. But, you know, some of my friends, they thought it was, some of them thought it was kind of cool, actually, but none of them would want to do it. And a lot of them thought it was just ridiculous that it was crazy. I must have to give a shameless plug here to say that the first chapter in my book tells this entire story and all of the crazy, hilarious, difficult the exciting things that happened on that trip because uh it was definitely definitely an adventure i yeah i and honestly you know i know a lot of your trips now are backpacking and trekking and and, and through hiking but but to me this just seems like this this kicked it all off not only because it was the first but because of just how much stinking like courage and and uh 
mean, it's it's a it's a complete adventure. It has every ingredient from not even knowing what Alaska really looked like to right. being completely alone. And oh man, it just sounds incredible. Yeah, this was before before the internet, before uh, you could get any information about anything. Uh, I remember, for example, I didn't know what kind of clothing to bring, you know, but I knew that Alaska was way up north. And so I packed all these winter clothes, even though it was um, the end of June. You know, I didn't know that Alaska in the summer can get very hot. And uh, so here I had (laughs) tons of sweaters and scarves and, and heavy coats and hats and boots that I never even wore because there was just no way to really check the weather. And so that was my assumption. That is unbelievable, man. And you know, that's when I was, I was up there in May, um, when I started my trip and it's funny you say that not knowing what to wear and we had the internet and everything, but in May in Florida, it's like a hundred degrees already <laughs> up there. All, all I had for warm clothes was, uh, we both, my buddy and I played basketball together. So we both had basketball jumpsuits for warmups. Oh, we wow. wore our warmup suits. So the long pants and the and the right, windbreaker right. shirt that matched, and that's what we wore out in this. And it was snowing; it was snowing all all the way through May until June. Wow! And wow. Uh, we were so unprepared. So, man, I just I love this. I love this first trip. How crazy it was! Because that's oh my goodness. Yeah, that was insane. Ago, man, that's a tough time to be going somewhere, traveling alone like that. I mean, things weren't really settled in the states. Yeah, you know, and you're funny you mention that because uh, what I did is I left New York City and I drove straight up to Canada, up through New York State. And then my idea was to cross the border into Canada and then drive west all the way across Canada to the west and then head north up to Alaska. So when I got to northern uh, New York State and I first crossed the border into Canada, the customs agent there uh, said, you know, how far are you going? And I said, "Uh, oh, I'm going to Alaska. And the guy says... The guy didn't believe me. So he thought I was running away from New York because that was during the Vietnam War. And a lot of people my age, 20 years old, were being drafted into the war and they were they were escaping up to Canada so that they wouldn't be drafted. And he thought I, I was one of them. And I said, no, 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 I'm, I'm driving through, but then I'm going to be coming back out in Alaska again. And he said, yeah, yeah, OK, right. But, you know, you may have trouble finding a job. You know, you may have trouble uh, finding a place to live up here. I said, no, 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 I'm going all the way through. And he said, yeah, okay, yeah, buddy, have a good trip. (laughs) So, yeah, like I said at the beginning of the episode, I used to carry cans of food into the backcountry. And uh, I know there's a lot lighter things to do, but uh, there's just a lot of options that aren't good for you or either too heavy. Um, And that's why I really do uh, use Peak Refuel now. uh, they're a new backpacking food company, and I say backpacking food. Really, it's just uh, freeze-dried food that you can use for anything. I've actually eaten it for dinner before with my family uh, because it's real food. It's not. It does not taste like backpacking food or hunting food or something that you're only going to eat in the backcountry. It's it's delicious, high uh, in protein, uh, nutritious. It is going to refuel you. It is filling huge portions. And I really encourage you all to give it a shot. At least try it out. Uh, and that is peakrefuel.com. And if you want to get 20% off an order, uh, use the code ASP20. And that's capital ASP and then two zero. Now back to the episode. Mm-hmm. 
Man, what an adventure. That's so awesome. So so when you got back, what was that like? What was it like to return to New York City? I'm sure your I'm sure your mind was just mush trying to comprehend everything. Yeah. You know, I have a I have a photo that uh was taken of me uh the day I got back. I'm sitting on the back fender of my car and I'm holding up in in uh, in my hand in each hand I had a quarter in one hand and a dime in the other hand. I got back home. I had 35 cents left, and uh, and actually, I actually still have that very same quarter in dime. I saved it all these years, uh, and I have it not too far from where I'm sitting right here. But yeah, when I when I got back home, I was a different person. You know, I I had had more experiences in in those weeks that I was gone than a lot of other people have in their whole life. You know, it 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 took a while to process it all. Because it wasn't until I got back home and then I could sit down and really think about uh, all the things that I've seen, the people that I met, the things that I did, think about, uh, you know, how crazy it was. Because it was really an impulse trip. You know, once I decided to go, I probably left a week later. You know, I just threw some stuff in a car and, and scraped together maybe 150 bucks. And, and that was it. And so when I got back home, it was good. You know, I, and and it actually set a precedent for me because I, I sat down. One of the things I did is I sat down and I wrote a journal. I wrote a story about the trip so that I would always remember all the details of, of what happened so that years later um, I'd be able to, to look at that journal and bring back all those memories. I also took photos while I was there. But uh, in all the trips that I've taken in the, in the whole 50-plus years since then, I always wrote a journal. And, you know, I said to myself in the old days, yeah, write this journal so you remember all these details. And so that when you get to be an old man, you know, like when you're 50, <laughs> you know, you could sit in your rocking chair and read all these stories, you know. And then I got to be 50 years old and I was still backpacking. You know, then I got to be 55. Then I got to be 60. Then I got to be 65. Then I got to be 70. You know, I'm still taking trips and still writing journals. Uh, but I'm really glad that I uh, uh, I started writing those those journals because now when I read them, it not only brings back all of the uh, details of what happened on these trips, but reading it is a is a reflection of the person I was back in the day, back in 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Uh, I could tell just by by what I wrote and how I wrote it who I was back then, and it's it's really exciting to not only read about the adventures themselves, but also to reflect on on how far I've come since since some of those trips back in the day. Yeah, that's a really good piece of advice. And I and I I, uh, I endorse that too. It's it's not easy, you know, at the end of a long day of trekking. Uh, but if something interesting happens or if nothing happens at all, if you can take a few minutes at the end of the day or the end of the week and just write down some things, you'll be so amazed by you know, what you forget in a pretty short amount of time and how quickly Absolutely. when you read those words, how quickly it not only reframes those memories and, and puts them back together, but the things that surrounded it as well that I didn't even write down like, oh, I remember that. And then because of I remember that, I now remember this person that I met. I didn't even write that down, but all it brings back so much. That is absolutely true. That is, you know, it puts you back in the moment back then. And you're, you're so right. Even the stuff that you didn't write down, you begin to um, remember incidents, people, little details that, that you didn't think about that much when you're writing a journal. But um, in retrospect, as you look back, 
it has more meaning. And, and I'll actually go back when I read one of these uh, journals, and if I get an insight or a memory of something that isn't in there, I'll actually put it in that journal, uh, wow. even though I may have written that journal 20, 30 years ago. That's a great idea. Uh, I'm, I'm so happy I did it. You know, uh, the journals are what I use to write the book, although the journals are not, you know, the book is not cut and paste from the journals. Each, each chapter tells a story. Uh, I relied on the journal for the details and, um, and for the memories. I, I looked at the journal. I read the journals. I looked at the photos. And I have a uh, – the other thing I did is all my topo maps from all my trips, every campsite uh, that I make, I, re- I indicated on a topo map. So you could ask me 25, 30 years ago on a given night where I was, and I could tell you exactly – what campsite exactly where I was somewhere in the world camped alongside a lake or in a forest or up in the mountains. Um, so I have all that detail as well. That's unbelievable, man. That's <laughs> so cool. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't gone into that detail, but, uh, I do admire that level of discipline because, uh, it's so valuable looking back on, I can't, yeah, I can't, I can't recommend it enough. If anyone out there is getting ready to do a trip, please, 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 Write it down, record stuff, both. Do something to make sure something. you can look back in a year, in 10 years, and 50 years to just to, to remind yourself the feelings it brings up, man. It's such good, such a good thing to bring perspective and, and uh, oh, it's just awesome. It's what life's about, yes. man. So, so, after so this, happy. yeah, it makes you, makes you, fizz, yeah, literally makes you happy. It's awesome. So, so, you know, you, you do this big trip to Alaska, you get back, you're back in the city. Um, you know, I, I assume now you got to start working, start, right. start with responsibilities. Um, right. but you did everything, but stop. You absolutely did not stop going outside and doing trips. So, so what did that look like from then? What, what was your next trip? And, uh, what did you start building your life like after that? Well, when I got back home, uh, you're right. I had to, uh, I had to get a job. Had to be uh, responsible, yeah. you know. Yeah, you can't live uh, off thirty-five cents for too long, in New yeah. York, <laughs> even in nineteen sixty-six. <1966. laughs> uh, I had to get out and get a. I had to get out and get a job. I, I actually became a uh, uh, a taxi driver in New York City. I went and got a taxi license, and I drove a. I drove a cab at night. Um, I had a lot of jobs back then, but uh, at the same time, I wanted to go back out. You know, I wanted to to go back into the. Uh, uh, back country, get away from the city. And so I bought myself a, uh, some basic gear. You know, I, I got myself a, a little tent and a sleeping bag, backpack, you know, and I would start going out, you know, on the weekends, you know, and, and I would go maybe up in the uh, Catskill Mountains, only like two, two and a half hours from here. And then uh, as time went on, I would go, you know, um, a weekend trip became a long weekend, and then it became a week. And then a week became two weeks, and then two weeks became three weeks, et cetera. And then, you know, the, the Catskills became the Adirondacks, and then the Adirondacks became the Rocky Mountains, and then the Rockies became uh, the Andes, and then the Alps. And then, you know, it just, it just branched out from there. And so with work, you, you made these trips a priority. Now, how often do you do them? Once a year, twice a year? What was your goal, or did it change over time? Well, um, you know, fast forward from 1966 to 1975, nine years later, after I've been uh, uh, working uh, at some pretty good jobs that I got as a 
a researcher and a social scientist. I have a degree in psychology. And then in 1975 is when I decided to start my own business. And so I started a market research and consulting firm. At first, it was just me, and I did it with my, my kid brother, who was just graduating from college. He was uh, nine years younger than me. And I, uh, I started out uh, working in my own business. Uh, obviously, the first people in my family ever had their own business. But I made a decision right from the beginning. You know, I'd heard stories about people who went into business on their own, and they, they did nothing but work day and night, weekends, you know, year in and year out, and they never took a vacation. And when they finally got, you know, to, to a point where they, they felt comfortable leaving the business, you know, like 20 years later and finally taking a vacation, they were sorry that they hadn't done it sooner. And so I made a decision right from the beginning that I wasn't going to do that, that I, I was going to work really hard, you know, uh, as hard as I could. But every single year, I was going to go away and I was going to take at least one trip. I wasn't going to wait, you know, five years, 10 years or whatever. And so uh, from the very beginning, I started to, uh, you know, I, to, to actually leave the business. My, my brother could run it fine. And it was great because I could disappear. You know, back in those days, there was no cell phone. There was no satellite phone. There's no communication. I was totally disconnected from the, from the world for a couple of weeks. But I didn't have to worry about it. You know, I, I didn't have to call in. I didn't have to wonder what was going on with the business because I knew that my brother was there. And that turned out to be fantastic. Uh, you know, I would come home from my trip and then I would be there while he, you know, took off and went somewhere wherever he went. Of course, he didn't go in the wilderness. You know, he was he would go to the south of France and drink martinis or something like that, <laughs> which is cool, which is cool. <laughs> but that's what I wanted to do. And so uh, by 1975, you know, uh, I had some decent gear. You know, uh, I'd been on some some trips, uh, as I mentioned before, you know, the shorter trips, the weekend trips, the, the week-long trips. And um, I could now, you know, because I had a couple of extra dollars in my pocket, I could expand my horizons and uh, start to create, you know, this kind of a bucket list of trips that I wanted to do and start knocking them off. You know, uh, I also traveled a lot for business. Uh, my clients were were worldwide. They were all over the world. And so I had a lot of frequent flyer miles. And so when I did take off on my own, I had, uh, you know, at least free airfare, which was the biggest uh, single expense on these trips is getting overseas to where you're going and getting back. And so uh, so it all actually worked out fine. And I do one or two trips a year for average, maybe three weeks, some of them a little shorter, uh, some of them a bit longer. And I've done a trip, uh, I think every single year since then, I've done at least one trip, uh, except for one trip when there was sickness in family and I didn't go away. So that's uh, I've got a lot of trips to them. So all of you know that uh, I deal with some chronic pain, some chronic inflammation in my knees. And it's been an issue with my adventure sports career. Uh, but we just had Caleb Simpson on the show to talk about his company, Hemp Daddies. And I'm actually going to give their products a shot and see how they do. I'm going to be using their CBD oil and transdermal cream. I've been trying it out about a week now, and I've actually noticed I sleep better. Um, my stress and anxiety have even lowered a little bit, as well as my knees do feel a lot better. Their products are third-party lab-tested. They're made from USDA organic hemp, and they're grown on a family farm right here in Colorado. If you'd like to give it a shot yourself, 
Go to their website, hempdaddies.com, and use the code ADVENTURE to get 10% off your first order and free shipping. And I will keep you in the loop about how it does for me. So, so are you happy with the formula that you built? Do you wish you'd have done it even more freaking, or you, or was that pretty fulfilling to do it once to twice a year? Uh, no, I was fine doing it once or twice a year. You know, I <clears throat> by this time I also had a family. Um, I had two kids, uh, and so uh, and I do love, like being in New York City. I love this city. You know, I still do. Um, and so, you know, getting uh, doing these trips wasn't about trying to getting away from all the hustle and bustle. I mean, it wasn't really that, you know, it was because I actually wanted to go there. But I had a life back here and I liked that life. And so to me, it was a perfect balance, really. I was I was home when I was home and I, I was away when I was away. And, um, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't change it at all. You know, now I'm in a couple of uh, months, I'll be 75. I'm still doing these trips. And now I actually have more time. So I'll be doing maybe two, three trips a year. And I figure, you know, at this stage, I got maybe <laughs> another 25, 30 years <laughs> of trekking that I can do. So it's just really a matter of finding a place to go. Yeah, you're you're not going to run out of cool places to go. You, I mean, you've been all no. over. I mean, you've been all over, man. Is it hard to come back to New York City? I mean, those are like you spend a you know you spend a week on, uh, you know, down in down in Patagonia. And come back to the bustling city. Is that is that <laughs> tough for you? Do you ever wish like, dang, I got to get out of this place? <laughs> well, I, I agree with you. It's two, you know, I'm living two totally different lifestyles. Yeah, I, they couldn't be more different. I, they couldn't, couldn't they be more different. different no. From New York City to, you know, going someplace so remote that you don't see anybody. You literally don't see anybody for a week, 10 days, maybe more. You know, it couldn't be more different. I used to have a bit of a, an adjustment problem, if you want to call it that, <clears throat> going from one to the other. The, the initial adjustment was more about when I left home and, and went away, and it took me you know, a day or two to get used to carrying a pack and sleeping on the ground and using a map and walking all day and uh, getting rained on and snowed on and just like that. And then uh, after a while, you know, the, when I got used to that, uh, that outdoor living and being uh, being alone and and on these solitary trips, then when I get back to New York, uh, there was kind of an adjustment. Just because there were just so many people and and everything seemed so loud, the traffic was so loud. It seemed like and um, everything was moving so quickly. And so even though I I grew up here and I was used to it, when you're away for for weeks at a time, you know you settle into that lifestyle. And then when you come back and suddenly um, you know you're thrust back into your, your other life. But uh, at this stage now, it isn't an adjustment anymore. You know, uh, when I go away, I'm looking forward to being out there. And uh, when I come back, you know, I'm happy that I've been out there and I'm, I'm cool with being back home. And so, you know, to, to be honest with you, I'm living a dream, you know, and I've been living that dream for many, many years. And I'm really grateful for it. That's, a, that's an envious uh, life to live, man. I'm, I've looked through your pictures on your uh website slideshow that just scrolls post after post and it's just man glorious places man anybody do you have anyone you can relate with back home that you share these experiences with that you're like man you know i want to do this place yeah i don't know just some 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 common some common grounds with some people you're close to are you still kind of a black sheep to everybody you know (laughs) (laughs) 
is that a pun? <laughs> no, never mind. <laughs> oh, um, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. The thing is, you know, years ago, all my trips were not solo. Um, I, had, I had some friends who actually liked backpacking. Not a lot of them. In fact, in my whole life, uh, there may be nine or ten people that I've ever been out with. And that, that was mostly way back then. And, and it was mostly because it's tough to, um, you know, you would have to leave your work. You'd have to, you know, if you get two or three weeks off from your job, you know, did you want to spend it with me, you know, in the middle of nowhere, especially if you had a family? Right, right. Uh, you know, did you want to go through all that expense to, to go somewhere around the world? You know, are you in good enough shape? You know, that you know, have you been working out all year long so that you can take a trip like that? You know, and, and back in the day, every every couple of years, there would be somebody who would say, yeah, I'll go. But, you know, eventually life, you know, is different for everybody. And uh, they had other responsibilities. And so um, it got to a point where, you know, I just started going by myself, which which is totally fine with me. But now to your to your question, when I when I come back. Uh, these people that I, I used to go out with are still friends of mine, and they're always curious and eager to find out what the trip was like. And, you know, we'll get together and and spread some maps out on a table and, uh, you know, look at some slides and, and photos, and that's cool. But, you know, the bottom line is that, that these trips became kind of, kind of personal for me. And I guess maybe because I'm kind of a loner, I... Uh, I didn't, I wasn't that eager to come back and tell everybody all the things that I did and show everybody photos and things like that. I mean, I'm certainly willing to do it um, if somebody's curious about it, but it was always fine with me that that these trips were really just for me. It was kind of a way of getting away. I was fascinated by how much I was learning about myself when I was out there alone, how I was handling different situations, how I was making decisions, how I was making adjustments to his different lifestyle, um, how I was handling emotions like fear and being cold and sleeping on the ground. And it's, it's been a tremendous influence on me as a person. And, and that's why it became kind of a, a personal thing. And so when I came home, I was uh, really uh, happy to be back. Everybody said, well, you look great. You know, you, you don't look like you spent the last month, you know, in the middle of nowhere. You know, you're smiling, you're happy. And that was really enough for me. So, so what, what's been some of your, uh, maybe just a couple of your favorite places? Whoa. Um, you know, I, a lot of people ask me that and I, and I still don't have a standard answer. Yeah. Because uh, every, every trip is different, as you probably know. Hmm. And even, you know, even if the trip is a bad trip, you know, even if the trip, you know, was all bad weather and, hard hiking and, and all that, you know, by the time you get home and, uh, you know, the, your muscles, you know, heal up and the mosquito bites are gone, you know, you, you tend to forget the negative and remember the, the good stuff. And so uh, typically when people say, well, what's your favorite trip? I would say my, my most recent trip is my favorite trip. It's a good answer. But, you know, as, as I look back, I, I don't know. I like Alaska. You know, I, I've been to Gates of the Arctic. Uh, the big national park up there three different times on three different wild rivers, three different valleys. I also, because I have a degree in psychology and I'm a social scientist and I'm interested in different cultures and different people, and I built my business around that, 
But then I uh, realized that I can combine that interest in people and culture with my interest in backpacking and, and going into really remote places. So I started to go into really remote places where I would find people such as, you know, the Inuit or Eskimo people up north or people living in Lapland or, or people living the, the uh, descendants of the Inca living up in the Andes Mountains, uh, Aborigines in the Australian outback, and on and on. And so uh, on some of my trips, what I do is I just plan a trip where I'll go and pick out a spot where they live, just point to a place on a map, and I just go and I show up. You know, and the people, they were going, who are you? (laughs) What are you doing here? (laughs) You know, where's the rest of your party? Why, Why did you come here? You know, and I tell them that I'm interested in in their culture and that before I left home, I did a lot of research. And so I'm aware of their history and their tradition and their religion and how they make a living and how they survive out there, what they eat for breakfast, everything. But I wanted to come and see it for myself. And they're like, so you came all the way out here just to see how we live? And I say, yeah. And I say, well, where are you coming from? I say, New York City. They go, what? <laughs> you coming from New York City? You know, I said, well, you know, I'm just, I'm just a curious guy with a credit card, you know, and so I, I decided to come up here. And once they hear that, you know, then they're like, you know, it's like, uh, wow, you know, somebody was that interested in in who we are and how we live that he came all the way out here by himself. We didn't even know anybody, and so then they're really happy to to have you there and have me there and to show me their lifestyle. And over the years, I've made some really good friends, you know, Native Americans, uh, First Nations people up in Canada, people all over the world who are living subsistence lifestyles or living uh, off the grid. And, you know, it's, it's in a way, it's kind of sad because everybody tells me the same thing. They always say, you know, our culture is really dying. The, the young people, they don't want to stay here. They don't want to learn the language. They don't want to learn the skills. They don't want to learn about our tradition. You know, as soon as they get old enough, they, they want to leave. So, you know, we're in a, in a situation where our culture is, is on a decline. And, and so it's, it's really cool to have somebody who's interested enough to come up here uh, with no ulterior motive, with no nothing except curiosity, and who's up here just to, just to see how we live. So it's great that I was able to combine those two two things that I love, and, and, and make trips like this. So buying ski gear can be a pretty daunting process, especially when it's online. But Powder 7 made that process incredibly easy. They live by their mantra, which is skiing for all, all for skiing, by being completely dedicated just to skiing and encouraging anyone and everyone to participate all year long. It really doesn't matter if you're looking for your first pair of skis or looking to round out your quiver Uh, they have literally thousands of skis in stock uh, new and used so you can get a really good deal a team of ski experts to help you find the perfect ski for you and they stock every brand you can imagine and not only skis but they have everything else you need whether it's a helmet or goggles apparel boots bindings poles literally everything the only thing they really don't get you is a lift ticket it's crazy so you can visit them online at powder7.com or stop by their store there in golden colorado but make sure you give them a shot before trying anywhere else for your ski equipment you've done 
you know, dozens and dozens of these trips, but you're, you're far from being over with these. What, what are some of the ones that really stick out to you for the future? What's some stuff on your bucket list that you're like, I, I cannot wait to get out there or meet these people or see that site? Yeah, well, uh, actually right now I'm doing research on three trips. One is to uh, the Gobi Desert in Mongolia. The other one is to uh, Los Glaciares down in uh, uh, Argentina in the uh, in Patagonia, and the third one I'm uh, I'm researching now is uh, in the High Atlas Mountains of Morocco, where the uh, Berber people live. And so I haven't decided which one or ones that I'm going to do yet. I'll certainly be doing at least one of them, and hopefully. Um, two or maybe even three. It's a lot of fun doing the research. It's a lot easier than it was, you know, decades ago, because now we have, you know, the internet and you can get so much information. Um, I used to have to send, you know, snail mail letters out to, to different national parks and, and to send away and find out how to get topo maps from different countries. I used to have to uh, go to the library and look stuff up and go to museums and find out information. And so it was, it was more painstaking to to put a trip together uh now i can sit you know right in front of my computer and get a lot of information including trip reports from other people who have been there i can download topo maps it's a completely different thing now basically you know i I look at a map of the world and i say hmm you know where haven't you been lately man that's so cool golly it's just such a neat concept of how to live your life work your tail off build a business um, that allows you some freedom because, you know, I, I agree with you. You said this earlier, uh, starting your own business can feel like you're not really working for yourself, but you're working for the company, your business that you started. It's just very hard to have the discipline to say, no, I'm stopping myself for this week or these two weeks or over this weekend even and saying, I'm not going to do this. But man, if you if you got that discipline and you've got some other hobby that you can pour yourself into like this what a what a great life you know it's an to, to me it's an adventure to be in new york city so <laughs> you gotta you gotta eat around the future in my opinion uh, well you know um it is tough to to break away or at least it used to be you know if you're running a business you feel kind of guilty when you when you're about to walk away from it you know especially if you're going to be gone uh for weeks at a time and you're not going to be able to be in touch with it, to, to talk to anybody, to see how things are going and make any decisions. You know, you, you say to yourself, wow, you know, uh, is this, you know, is this right? You know, somehow, you know, you feel a little like, uh, you know, maybe I shouldn't do this. Maybe something will happen while I'm gone and I should have been here. But, you know, I persevered. I said, you know what, if, if that's what happens, that's what happens, you know, but the last thing I want to do in life is to is to reach some some old age and to sit back and say, boy, you know, I wish I had done this and I wish I had done that and to regret, you know, opportunities that I had and didn't take because I, I decided to just stay home and work. And so now, you know, I'm still in business here. My company is now 44 years old. It didn't go out of business. You know, I did. I had a great career. And, and the coolest thing about it every year I did at least one trip, one long trip. Uh, I also did a bunch of weekend trips still. I still do that. But I never let the the pull of business keep me from from doing what I love and just getting out into the fresh air and spending a couple of uh, couple of weeks on my own. 
And, and so as a celebration of that lifestyle and of those stories and all your trips, uh, you decided to write a book about it. Could, could you just tell us about that, like what it contains? Um, because uh, I'd love for people mm-hmm. to read your story, man. Um, it, just a great way to build a life. Uh, yeah, and actually, um, it's actually a cool book, although it's easy for me to say that. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was but, so what I decided to do, uh, the book has nine chapters. I picked nine trips of, of all the trips that I've taken based on, you know, where I was. I wanted some geographic dispersion. I wanted trips in different parts of the world. Uh, there were a couple of trips in there where I was with uh, a friend uh, most of them are solo, but it, it's kind of a cross section of trips, and uh, it starts. And I and I each of the chapters is its own story. It's got a it's got a theme. It's got a beginning, a middle, and an end. And so it's not about you know I woke up in the morning, I walked 13 miles, I made a camp by a river, I saw a full moon. You know, each chapter tells a story. Each chapter has its own its own point of view about something. Uh, some of them are are funny. Some of them are tragic. Some of them are are uh, suspenseful. Some of them are insightful. And what I did is I I arranged them in chronological order, uh, starting in 1966, and then the last chapter was just a couple of years ago, just before the book was published. And so as you read from one chapter to another, uh, you're not only getting an individual story for each of these trips. But you can begin to see other things as well. For example, you can begin to see how how I, as a 20-year-old in 1966, how I've changed and how my attitude towards backpacking has changed, how my experience has come into play, and, and how my my appreciation of the outdoors and respect for the wilderness has, has developed. At the same time, you read these chapters and you see how backpacking has changed and how the wilderness has changed. And how, you know, when the ultralight philosophy came in and how technology like GPS and satellite phones, how that came in, how the different philosophies, you know, like leave no trace, how all that factored in. And so, in a sense, the book is is, is a story about a city kid who spent his life uh, 50 years doing wilderness trips, but it's also a story of, of 50 years of the wilderness, all around the world and where I was and what I saw and who I met and, and what I did. So it's called uh, Way Out There, Adventures of a Wilderness Trekker. It's on sale at Amazon or any uh, bookstore that you want. And I would also say that if anybody's interested, they can uh, go onto my website, which is jrinthewilderness.com. Uh, in addition to seeing a number of photos from all these trips and a list of all the trips that I did, um, there's more information about the book. In fact, uh, there's a synopsis, a summary of each of the chapters. Uh, there are some photos in there from those chapters that, that are not in the book. Uh, I'm happy to say the book is doing very well. It was published by Mountaineers Press out in um, Seattle. And uh, since it's been out there, I've been traveling around the country doing um, book signings and lectures. I The other thing is that that now that I'm where I am in terms of age and experience and what have you, uh, and I think back to how it was for me growing up in a working class family in a big city. And so what I've been doing now for the last few years is uh, going into some of the public schools here in New York City and some of the other cities around the country and talking to kids who, you know, may not have the privileges and the 
the economic situation that a lot of other kids have. And I try to encourage them to still reach for their dream, you know, and to, uh, to not be discouraged by, by how hard, you know, their life may seem and uh, to not let anybody discourage them or tell them that, that there's anything that they can't do. Uh, because I grew up that way. I was able to reach out and, and get what I wanted and, and live my dream. And so I, I would like for kids that grow up, you know, in the city that having it tough to know that, that, that there's a good life out there for them. You know, if they really want it and if they try hard enough, you know, that they can get it. And I, I do a little talk and, and talk is called, if I can do it, you can do it. And so that's kind of how I like to try to, I don't know, pay back or give back or pay it forward or whatever, because the, the wilderness and the outdoors and being out there has, has really um, had a positive impact on me, both physically, mentally, and emotionally. And I'd, I'd like to see other kids um, have that opportunity as well. So I don't care what race or color they are or whatever. Anybody that's out there that's struggling, um, I'd like them to know that uh, it can happen, that they should just hang tough and do what they have to do and believe that they can that they can reach for whatever heights they want to, to get to. Oh man, that's great advice. I was going to ask you uh, some for some parting words, but uh, I think you just gave them to me right there. <laughs> Mr. Harris, congratulations on on a life built um, pursuing something that uh, at first you did not want to do whatsoever. But thank God for parents that have yes. uh, a little more foresight than we do at 10, 12, 15 years old. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely, absolutely. I'm so happy my parents did that. Uh, it was really a life changer, you know, and uh, for for people who may not have parents or two parents or parents who know or to encourage their kids, you know, it, it's still open for them as well. If, if what I do or what I say in some small way can maybe change their perspective or change their attitude, then, um, you know, I, I can use this platform that, that writing a book has given me to go out there and, and try to talk to some kids about it because it's really worth it, you know. Uh, Again, you know, I'm living a dream and I've been doing it all these years and I'm, I'm so grateful that I, I can still do it. I would just, you know, I'd like to see other people have that same opportunity. Well, keep doing what you're doing, brother. Okay, cuz. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, man. This was, this was fantastic. Well, I had a, had a really pleasant time talking to you, Mason. Uh, thanks a lot for asking me these questions. <laughs> uh, I really enjoyed it. Good, good. Well, stay warm. Enjoy yeah. your next trek. Yeah, they, they've got some good ones you've done, so I, I got to follow in your footsteps. <laughs> do some of. Them. Okay, my man. Yeah, thanks again. This has really been great. I really enjoyed this. Good, good. Well, have a good day. Sounds great. Thanks a lot. Yes, sir. I have a good day. Right, yes, sir. See ya. Ciao. Hey, thank you so much for listening. If you know somebody that would make a good guest on the show, or if you have a pretty cool story about the outdoors or adventure sports that you want to tell us, please call us and leave a voicemail at 812-MAIL-POD. That is 812-624-5763. Uh, you can also send us an email at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. Uh, again, it is always helpful to leave us a review on iTunes. And if you'd like to be a supporter of the show, you can give five bucks a month at patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast and links for all that stuff is also in the show notes. So thanks again for listening and y'all get out there and 
do something so you can be on the show one day. All right, later. Also, don't forget, if you want to save 20% off the best backpacking food on planet Earth, go to peakrefuel.com and at checkout, use the code ASP20. So now in their 12th season, Powder 7 is setting the bar for ski retailers everywhere with their personalized service, wide selection of skis, and gear. Visit them online at powder7.com or stop by their store in Golden, Colorado. Also, don't forget, if you're dealing with inflammation, pain, stress, anxiety, lack of sleep, do some research and check out hempdaddies.com for CBD oil and transdermal cream. And use the code ADVENTURE at checkout to save 10%.